0: All right. Yes, ma'am. That was uh, that. I closed it. Thank you. (laughs) I just closed my sheet up. I'm so sorry. Okay. All right, so now, what we are going to do uh, to begin with is get started with a very quick review of what we did last week in our homework, um, and just quickly go through to see what what we uh, concluded in our chapters for for themes, and we want to line that up with, with who the kings were that were uh, uh, in rulership at the time of each of these chapters, and this is going to help us Uh, Develop our understanding of segment divisions and flow of thought. And remember, what did we uh, conclude by the time we got through those first six chapters last week as far as how it unfolds at that point? From chapter one to six, what did we see about how those chapters unfold? They are linear. They're sequential, right? Chapter one, yeah, that's a good (laughs) Yes, linear and sequential, same thing, right? Very good. Or, or chronologicals to, to a point, correct? Okay, good. So that was a, at least step one, and that gives you a, a big uh, leg up as you move into this part two of the overview, which is going to be chapter seven to 12. So let's start, though, to, uh, by just going back and looking at a little bit of context. One of the things... Oops, I forgot to get my other book out. Um, one of the things that's important for us to understand is how we go about us doing um an overview and kind of what the the method is in this madness that we're doing right because for those of you who are new and doing this work it's important for you to understand the process right now when you're doing an overview um the first thing she asked you to do last week is just go through and read the chapters and begin to mark key repeated things that pop up right but it's important in an overview that you not mark key uh words that are for chapters only but that are book keywords now the only way you're going to know that is if you do the first two or three chapters just read through then when you go back and you start in chapter one you won't be marking those other additional things that are only um pertinent to chapter one chapter one's going to have some key subjects and some key information but it only pertains to chapter one and when you move into chapter two it's uh, it's done right? But in chapter one, there are some uh, key messages and key themes or, or key words that come up that you're going to see pop up again in chapter two. And then again in chapter three, right? So that's what we call book keywords. And that's what you're looking for in your overview time. And so they are distinct. That means you don't have to mark every single word that looks to you like it's significant or super important in that one chapter, but rather what you're trying to do is back up again, fly up here at this higher level and you're looking at the bigger picture and you're saying, what am I seeing that's being repeated, but not just in one chapter, but through the whole thing, through the whole book. Okay. When you are able to get to that point you've read through, this is why often she tells you, and it is a I think probably one of the more important things to do is always read through the book just the first time through to get the bigger picture on the whole it kind of gives you the the flow of thought you see the message you know you can kind of struggle with some of the hard to pronounce names along the way but get beyond that just you know give them nicknames it's okay you can use an like i I always refer to Nebuchadnezzar as Nebbi, and I just move on because I don't want to spell that big name, and I don't want to get bogged down in the unessential points, right so ha, do whatever tools that help you to remember what's going on, look for the bigger message, but by beginning to mark those book keywords, keywords are going to show you what major subjects are now, how you're going to determine what your most important uh uh major subject is which becomes your theme is by what's repeated the most does that make sense so you're going to see a few keywords let's just let's just list a few of those tell me what you think you've seen so far as book keywords okay most high god now king of kings Oh, there. Okay, so and kingdoms, very good. Kings and kingdoms, and they might be separate, or they might be this. uh, Depending on how the use of that word is, it might mean the same thing. But kings and kingdoms, excellent. How how much do you think the emphasis has been so far on the subject of kings and kingdoms? Yeah. <laughs> it, it has revealed itself to be the major thing so far, right? And most high God, his title is significant. Always in biblical study, the titles that are given to God as you read through it, any scripture, are going to give you a clue as to what the, uh, uh, what God wants you to know that is most important about his quality or characteristic that applies to the subject matter right so if you come across the title of God uh, as you go through starting next week with each each reference that makes note of God in some form or fashion I would do a word study on that okay for sure even if Kay doesn't tell you to go and do your word study on every time you see God's name mentioned. because if there's any variations of how he's being described it's going to pertain to what's going on in that chapter or in that statement that's being given to you at the moment okay So, keywords give you subjects. Subjects will help you develop your theme, and that's what we're aiming for today. So, we have most high God, kings, kingdoms. What else? Visions. Very good. Visions. Visions are dreams. And consequently, what follows the visions? In understanding or interpretation right interpretation understanding um also wisdom very good revealed Revealed, okay The, the dreams visions Inter- understanding, insight, okay. Um, have we seen that? Um, yeah, you can definitely, ca- okay, future, okay. Future, time, or times. Because as a matter of fact, that one phrase, key word, phrase of time, times, and a half a time comes up several times in this, doesn't it? Okay. Being humbled. Now, humility and being humbled comes up in which chapter? Primarily. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar and his dream. That whole chapter is about God humbling Nebuchadnezzar, correct? Mm-hmm. Do you see that subject matter in the uh, all the other chapters as well? A bit and his friends. Because that has to be a huge humbling statement to be put into captivity. It's a conclusion you draw, but is the su- is that word humble there? Is it in chapter one? Right. You did not humble, therefore right. Okay yes in nine also okay so we can put that on here if you want let's do that okay all right oh yeah book keywords okay god most high certainly daniel and then although there are other friends shadrach meshach abednego for instance are mentioned but are they major in the book on the whole not really they kinda drop off don't they it's just kinda it's kinda like all those other supporting actors I always like to look at these kinds of narratives and they really are uh, very much like a play right that's being presented to you it's like going to watch a movie or a stage play there's all these players on the stage and but there's always one or two that keep showing up throughout the whole thing right the leading man, right? <laughs> the the leading, leading man, of course, is always God. But then there's the leading man. And it seems to me that who is our leading man in this book? Daniel. And who do we think is the author then? Who authors this? And how do you kind of know that? Is there a statement anywhere in the book of Daniel that says, I, Daniel, am writing this? Yeah. Okay. There you go. So what happens is now in the first half of the book, you don't see that. But in the second half of the book, you see a a switch to personal pronoun. I Daniel, I Daniel, I Daniel. Right. So we see the authorship is Daniel. possibly yes and and also there's a, a point in one of the narratives which is with nebuchadnezzar he's writing nebuchadnezzar's story on yes on his behalf so to speak right so that's really cool but we do see that then the one who's pinning it, it becomes pretty obvious as you move through this it's it's daniel okay all right so book keywords show us what now if you have to consider the uh, this list as you go through, you, what you want to do now is when we go through and start making our chapter themes, titling our chapters, we want to try to draw out of what we see in our themes, which of these seems to be the most dominant of our messages for the book so that we can develop our theme for the book. Um, yes? So the other group of person or people that seem to be missing the book is the whole idea is- or messengers from God. Well, there are. They turn up in yes, they do. Also, a people, another people group who becomes dominant is Sioux. Who? Who, are, who are Daniel's people? Yeah, people yeah the Jews or Israel. The and then the Chaldeans or Babylon. Right? And then later it's going to be the Medes and the Persians. So we do see those things start to pop up later on. But would you say if you had to pick a major theme, which is what we're shooting for, right? That's what we're trying to grab out of this. Are are the Persians the major theme of this book? Are the Chaldeans even, the Babylonians, the major theme of this book? It's like they're supporting actors in the story, aren't they? It's like there's a story that's trying to be told and it's being told with these uh, supporting influences pieces of information that have been given to us, as we were told the story, we're getting to see the message, and that's what we're heading for. So we're trying to see, what is his major emphasis in this this book? Why is he writing to us? So let's go on and do a real quick review on what we did for our chapter titles last week. What was your title in chapter one, and did anybody go back and review that a little bit and say, you know, let me rethink this through, what was going on in chapter one? What did happen in chapter 1? Big picture, not detail. Daniel and his friends were taken captive. Yep, Daniel and his friends were taken captive. And Daniel and his friends came from where? Judah. Judah. So, I do I'm going to do it this way. Judah's sons. And what happened to them at the end? Yeah. Put into service. To Babylon. Now, anything that's close to that conveys that message will, will be sufficient, correct? Now, who is the king in chapter 1? Nebuchadnezzar. So, we're going to put him up here while we're doing this just so that we have a consistency. So, the king, the kings, it is uh, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Okay. They do, and when you're in chapter, well, actually, kind of, it, it is kind of a theme that runs all the way through, but particularly when you get to the second half of the, of the book, is there excelling what seems to be emphasized? God does grant them favor, and and what is the major subject of what you're seeing as we looked at our homework this week? What seems to be the major message there? There you go. The, the emphasis kind of shifts from Daniel to, be, to being more about God, what God is doing basically behind the scenes in the unfolding storyline of history, right? So it starts out in the first half of the book, Daniel and his friends. Daniel and his friends, and they kind of be, seem to be on center stage. But then all of a sudden it makes a switch. So again, consider that as another possibility for a segment division. For you as you're looking at this book how does the book change in the first part one thing's happening in the second part something else is happening right um okay yes yes he does Yes, God did do, you know, I love that. You could add that into your title, that God put, the, God put the sons of Judah into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. That would be a really good title. I like that one. That's excellent. Yes. It's exactly what Jeremiah says, isn't it? It's exactly what, So it wasn't like they just got, it's not like they were put into service to Babylon, and, and you, let's just add it on here, by God. And if I had room, I'd put on their God Most High, <laughs> because he again that title gives it the emphasis that you need to know or to see in the book, right? That God Most High. All right, very good. Chapter one. That what was in chapter two? God revealed the king's dream to Daniel. Okay, Nebuchad- So, who has this dream? Nebuchadnezzar has the dream. And who interprets it? Daniel does so keep that in mind who's having the dreams and who is interpreting also is part of this picture here at the beginning of our look at Daniel and we see that in this one Nebuchadnezzar has a dream uh and what kind of a dream did he have um and Huh? A large, statue. a large statue, yes, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, st- he has a statue dream. Um, let me think. We haven't really dug into Chapter 2 hardly at all. It's almost like we've just barely touched on it so far, which tells me, um, at least with the people who put this curriculum together, what they're saying, I think, to us at this point is, don't go in too far yet, right? I know that next week in her homework assignment to us, she Kay is going to tell you and remind you: do not do commentary work on chapter two before she tells you to do so. I know it. It's so hard to be not be tempted. But let me tell you the biggest joy is when you figure it out yourself. And what this method should show to you as if you were faithful to do your homework and you're faithful to just stick it out and do what what's being said uh, do this day one do this day two and if you just do it what happens is eventually you get to a place of discovery and you got there without somebody telling you how that was supposed to be or what was supposed to be said there or what your your understanding of it was supposed to be right it's God's Word Uh, through your diligent study, being revealed to you in a way that's going to be really meaningful to you. And you're never going to forget it. When you get the answer and you get it figured out all for yourself, by yourself, through the Holy Spirit's teaching you, what's going to happen is that is going to be so deeply seated in your memory banks that it's really going to be the thing which is going to propel you forward in all of your other studies from here on. Because once you realize the joy of discovery for yourself rather than doing commentaries, then you're going to find out you don't really need the commentaries. You just have to be diligent enough to do the research and the study. Use the tools that are in your precept toolbox, pull them out, mark your keywords look for your themes set your context now go into chapter one by one look to see what's supposed to be there if you'll do it that way then you won't jump ahead you won't run to somebody to say what does this mean i got tickled at my husband he's in the evening class um he got stuck on that word burl the burl belt was it right a belt of burl oh his face is a burl okay i couldn't remember what it was yeah i know know okay now it's okay but here's what here's what i told him at the time because he was looking this up i said honey you're not supposed to be looking up those words yet he said i know but i want to know what this is i said go ahead you know what if if you have a burning need to get that that itch scratched do it because you'll get it out of your system and then you can just move on right otherwise you're just thinking what does that mean but don't do a whole lot of research and study, because if you do that, what's going to happen is you're going to waste all your time in that, and then you won't have time to really get into the homework that you're working on, that you're supposed to have done, and it, and it just ties you up. It's kind of a rabbit trail for the moment. Later, she's going to have you be looking at those things when you get into that chapter. But I read it, and I was like, and I read it again, and I read it again, and like, well, is it? Is it? And I know. I she says very emphatically don't get stressed about this it's going to make better sense later it won't make as much sense right now because you haven't worked the pieces yet And they literally call it precept upon precept you are learning a little bit this week and a little bit more next week. And then you'll learn a little bit more. And so what happens is you build on this so that eventually by the time we get to 10, you're already going to have in your head an understanding of what God is doing in this book and why he's writing the things that he's writing. You're going to understand what has already happened, what has dreams and visions and what the interpretations were and what they mean. By the time you hit chapter 11, you're Right. And probably this is going to happen at the end. But now i got to figure out the pronouns. That's the tough part. But we will get there and we will have a system put in place to help you get that all figured out. Big, big picture. Chapter two is Nebuchadnezzar's statue dream. All right. Then we have chapter. Oh, and who's the king? And. Okay, we'll put 19 on there then. Did we have one for this one? Uh, verse was it one or two, maybe? So what chapter? What uh, the first title in chapter one? 19. Okay. I'm all on board. And then chapter two is also 19. What? And then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night oh. vision. 19 says that the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. It, and that is in two? And this is correct? Is this correct then? Okay. All right. no we wanted we want it, we want big picture 19. okay that's the last verse i i liked that one. it and it, and it you know the book opens in that manner too as well in verses one and two it talks about them coming into the captivity so you could even use verses uh maybe one and two in in that title okay either of those see it's it's not like there's a right and wrong it's like you just got to kind of find the one that for you best declares what the the point is so if you have come up with a theme or a chapter title then you try to find a verse that supports your title okay you read back through say well which one most clearly conveys this message of my title that's what you're looking for okay all right and uh, what and why are we putting our scripture references up there why do why is that a necessary part of this process? It's the address for where you get that information. now, what does that do then for the the collective group as we study this together? Yes, we can all go back and validate, oh, I see what she saw there. I agree, or no, I think she I think she concluded that we need to re discuss that again or we need to rework that so it helps us to confirm together and agree together on a on a uh, conclusion statement okay so scripture verses are important chapter three what did you see there okay so we have we have those three uh Rescued from the fire. Okay. And you want to put on there something about God's angels? God's them. 28, Okay, give me. Verse 28, you said. Okay, three, rescued from the fire. Now, um, well, we're not really ready to discuss that part. Okay, never mind. Okay, and who is the king in chapter three? Nebuchadnezzar, and that's in Babylon again, and that's where we were also before we forgot to write it down. So we're beginning to see a pattern here, are we not? we've got three chapters we're still in the in the kingdom of babylon it's all under the kingship of nebuchadnezzar as the king at this point okay chapter four what do you see okay and again since it's nebuchadnezzar that's mentioned we now know who is our king Nebuchadnezzar, he's in Babylon kingdom still. Um, he has this tree dream, um, and the conclusion of that tree dream is what has happened to Nebuchadnezzar during that storyline. He was humbled. How was he humbled? What happened to him? One, he was he was literally removed from his kingship. Correct. And what happened at the end? He's restored as the king. Does that kind of fit with any of our key words at this point? Our big, our big picture key words? That a king is removed and a king is restored? So you might want to add that in here. Yeah. Seneb <laughs> is removed and restored as king. Okay. And do we have a verse for that? Okay. And the dream uh, of the tree begins where? chapter four, the great Yeah, and what ver- verse? Yeah. <laughs> okay okay so we'll put 10. so okay just pick the one that works for you that tells you he's having a dream about a tree and we're going to get into the details of what that tree dream is all about when we do our chapter observations for right now we're trying to see the big picture what we're seeing here is big picture he had a dream and consequently that dream had to do with nebuchadnezzar being removed and then later restored as their king right and I, I think i told you this last week but in the um in the uh, uh, i guess the the historical writers that talk about this era in history kings who went mad are were actually often revered in that day which i think is interesting because it kind of explains why they allowed him to be out in the field um and they didn't kill him, right? Nobody came to usurp his throne from underneath him. But do you know why they actually revered people who went into madness? They thought it was the gods dealing with them. Now, this is just history. When you go in and do your work this week, you might look to see if we can validate that story that I heard. I heard it from a, through a uh, pastor as he was giving his sermon, and he talked about this. He said one of the reasons, it was actually a, um, he was an instructor, a uh, professor for. Um, theological studies and he was talking about the history of why kings like this or like David when it happened to David when they went into madness they weren't just killed because it has to do with their their idea their concept of what was going on with the person who was in madness remember the in the New Testament the guy that runs around in the tombs in madness but they don't kill him Well, maybe, but they didn't kill him. They let him just kinda of, And a lot of it had to do with their idea of madness having something to do with the gods uh, speaking or dealing with that person. And they revered that or they feared it. So that, that's just something I heard. And I thought, oh, that was very interesting. It kind of makes sense. Why did Nebuchadnezzar, honestly, in a dog-eat-dog world, why didn't somebody come out in that field while he was in his madness and just kill him? And take over the throne. Why? What stopped them from doing that? Yeah. And and you know what's very interesting to me? Was there a God dealing with him? Oh, yes. (laughs) And thankfully, they feared that God and did not touch him, allowed God to do the work he was doing in his life. I just, I think it's an interesting concept that i haven't totally worked through but i like it okay chapter five is uh what who who sees this writing belshazzar and he says he sees handwriting on the wall Yeah, exactly, technical, that's right, so you, if you want to rephrase my, it's totally fine, we can, as long as it's phrased in a way that you get the concept that there was hand, you know, that's such a, such a common phrase, even to this very day, the handwriting's on the wall, everyone knows exactly what that means, right, <laughs> so I think that's pretty good, okay, and what, whose kingdom are we in? And so, and Belshazzar is the king, right? But it is still under Babylon. Yes. And at the end of it, it concludes in chapter 5, the fall of uh, Babylon and the rise of the Medo-Persian kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Okay, so then when we get to chapter 6, by way of review, what do we see there? What is that storyline about? There's a lion's den, and somebody gets thrown in there by intrigue and a plot, right? Daniel. (laughs) And we have Daniel is, um, how do you want to phrase this? He He saved him out of it or in, yeah, okay. So Daniel is, how about we put rescued? rescued from the lion's den. And if you want to do it on here, you could put it on here. By who? God. By God. And it said in my God and shut the okay. Okay, and that's in 22. I like that. We didn't get a verse on uh, 5. Do we need one? Yes. Verse five. Thank you. I love. And that one there, there's a scripture verse in there in chapter five. I love so much where it talks about our life's breath is in the palm of God's hand. I love that. And then there's the writing on the wall and in the in the hand of God is our life's breath. Okay, And Daniel rescued from the lion's den, basically by God's angel. So we see again God intervening to rescue his people. Yes. Yes. It's unheard of in our world today, isn't it? Unheard of. I know. Even from one administration to another, generally you go in and get rid of the old administration and put in your own. But in this old system, they didn't do that. Um, The other thing that's very interesting, we're going to look at it more clearly, but under Cyrus, what else does this new king do? Daniel's in the lion's den, is under what kingdom? Darius. And who is Darius? He's the Mead. So this is the Medo-Persian, right? How does that work,? Katie? That's something we are going to dig out. We're going to do some history work on that, when we get there. Very, very cool. Well, and there's a lot. The, I tell you what the most amazing thing for you and I as precept students today is we've got Internet all you have to do is google any question that pops in your mind actually my husband and I were laughing the other night because we were talking to Alexa Alexa and then she'd take you know, answer our questions for us we'd have a disagreement about what was going on on the sports or I couldn't figure out who these teams were that were playing that's how much I know about Super Bowl I'm so sorry but I'm like okay so who are the two teams playing and and well what what state are they from well it doesn't matter it's by city i'm what do you mean it's by city how come it's not by state i mean i was really confused anyway alexa was helping us so you guys have not only alexa which is very much inferior, however. But Google, you and you've got commentaries that you can go to and read at the appropriate times. But for instance, next week, once you've done your homework, allow for yourself. Don't cram it to the end because you're going to want your your research time so badly. At the end of your work next week, you're going to have time to go in and start reading about Babylon and who's Nebuchadnezzar. And um, uh, and Angie, is it you that's? I'm sorry. Who is it? Amanda. Who's Amanda? Oh, there you are. Okay. That has, you have some great, uh, pictures and some stories to tell us about what you saw. I'm excited for you to share that with us. And next week is when we're going to get to start sharing some of those extra biblical researches that we are going to do on the things that we're looking at that just add like the sprinkles on the cake. You know, we're building the cake right now. Next week, we're going to start icing, and then we're going to come behind it with things like what Amanda will have to share for us, and, and sprinkle it with all the pretties, right? And it's just going to add those, those additional things that just help to really bring it to life. For me, as a um, as a young believer, we were living in, in Turkey, and when we first got our orders to go overseas to Turkey, and that was in 1983, terrified. <laughs> I mean, we were all like, Ah! Turkey, you know, like, what's Turkey, right? I didn't even know where to find that on a map. But when we, when we got there, what God did for me there was I got to walk the streets of all of these biblical places in history that we now study. I mean, Ephesus was where my daughter's high school graduation was, at the Library of Celsus at Ephesus, which is like about two hours down the road from us. Um, the, the seven churches were like stomping grounds every holiday we went to laodicea uh in the winter time because they have hot uh, pools of water for swimming and we take the kids down there and they could swim day after day all through the winter and they loved it um it it's it brings everything to life when you actually say i've been there i've seen that here's the pictures archaeologists have dug this up scientists have shown and proven this i mean it it just adds support to god's word which is already true so for those of us who already are convinced god's word is true awesome but you know what's even even more fantastic is when the world is shown that god is true when you can pull it out and say i know you are not a believer i know you're not convinced yet but did you see this here it is the history is now proven and do you, think of how many stories that are recorded in scripture that for years they said that does that's not true it never happened it's just fiction it's an allegory or whatever and then they suddenly discover that city go oh, here's the ruins of jericho here it is Right. And all of a sudden, what they used to say was not true is now proven true over and over and over. God's word is proven to be true. So when you and I get to go after chapter two's home or chapter one's homework next week and go in and actually do some research on who is Nebuchadnezzar, what was going on in history at that time? And each one of us might look at something different. And so when we come together, we can all add a little piece of information to it. It just really enhances your study time and um, the insights that it can give to you to understand what's going on even in Chapter 1. Maybe someone else here says, you know what? I don't get this thing about the food, right? I don't understand the Levitical law that was going on at that time. I, maybe I haven't studied before the Old Testament and um the restrictions that were placed on Israel by God, and how He wanted them to do certain things, right? And so maybe they would do some research on that and bring that back to class and say, "Well, look, when Daniel said this, this is what he was talking about, and you can share that insight, and that helps to enhance our learning. So when Kay tells you to do the research, and I'm warning you ahead of time, next week is going to be an excellent week for you to have opportunity to go do some of your research on some of these other things so just keep that in mind and allow some time in your week um, for being able to do that because it's fun right and we all benefit from that okay all right so what we have seen at this point then is a transition correct so if you are going to begin to do a a segment division now when we move into the next part of it you're going to see it even uh, develop in a slightly different way but what can you see at this point as far as a segment division might be By kingdoms. Okay. And so what have you got in these first five chapters? Babylon. And right now we have the Medo-Persian. so that gets you started on that now we're ready that was review now we're ready to dig into this week's work and this seems rather laborious I know but you guys look this is so important to get this all figured out because these are this is gonna be your context that you can see how things are flowing in this book All right. when you go back now and work in chapter one you're gonna have your feet steadied right you're gonna know where you're heading okay chapter seven this week, what did you see in chapter 7? What's going on there? It is a vision. Wow. Who's having the vision? Um, that's interesting. Daniel's having a vision, huh? Okay, so it's Daniel's vision this time. How is that different from what we've seen before? Yeah, before it was... Uh, the king having a dream. So Nebuchadnezzar had a dream here. Um, Nebuchadnezzar also had another dream here, right? And Belshazzar sees something, right? In In a supernatural way. All right. So we see three instances here where something's going on, but it's being revealed to the kings of the kingdoms at that time. But now we see it's a vision that Daniel is having. What is his vision of? Four great beasts. All right. And do you have a verse for that? Okay. Verse 3. Any other insights? What did Did you learn anything about those beasts or about, I mean, just from the overview part of it? there you go so what we now know is these four great beasts pertain to as far when you come to interpretation it's about kingdoms right so you might want to put yourself some kind of a visual notice that this is talking about kingdoms right you could actually do draw let's do that i'll do four of those i like to draw my little castles not if they got windows and doors and then a flag (laughs) listen i didn't say it was a good drawer i just said i'd like to draw (laughs) four kings okay and yeah, either way, you could do, you could do crowns too. It, it does not matter. <laughs> because what's going to happen is as we are developing this, we're going to come to understand the concept that's being taught. This is why when I wrote this up here, kings and kingdoms, and I joined them kind of together. Now, they, I do mark my kings with a crown. And I do mark my kingdoms with a, with a castle, okay? i I do do that in my observation worksheet but but consequently, what's going to happen as we are going through this, particularly when we move in to chapter Seven, for instance, we're going to start to see how kings and kingdoms almost merge in the concept, right, and you'll see that later. But for right now, whichever is better for you in your mind, kings or kingdoms, that use that symbol, but just be consistent so that you understand where you're, what you're looking at. What we do know, though, are these four great beasts. Um, one of the reasons I kind of liked, it, it might be going too deep at this point, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. One of the reasons I kind of like the idea of the kingdoms rather than crowns being a king. Can, have we already at this point seen through our first half of our observation that a kingdom can have more than one king? Yes. Right. And yet when you move to the, the sixth chapter and there's a sixth king that's mentioned, but now we're into what? A new kingdom. Right? When it talks about these four great beasts, although we didn't do an in-depth look at it, what happens with the king? Of one, uh, the one king before the next king is mentioned. When, are the four beasts described distinctively? Okay, and so what does that tell you then about those kings? They're different. They're, they're different. And in, in what way? Are they, what happens to the first beast before the second beast rises up? He's destroyed. So it looks to me like there's a destruction of that first beast, and then the second beast rises up. And then there's a destruction of the second beast, and then the third beast rises up, right? So in that way, um, if you consider that the beast is a kingdom, not an individual king, what that does is that tells you that within each kingdom, there can be multitudes of crowns. If you're just speaking about a king. Right? So if you start with one kingdom, what was, now we, I don't think we've gotten to that place yet. We're not ready to talk about who are those kingdoms and how many kings were in that kingdom. But just keep that in mind, that as you look at these four great beasts, one is destroyed and another one comes up. Pardon? Yeah. Yes, and if you're using the timeline that Kay gave you, she makes it very clear for you. What the, and as a matter of fact, in the homework that you did, right, she asked you to actually color code that. I don't know if I've got mine out here. Hold on, see if I can find it. It's right here. So she had us actually color coding it, right? She said, color your chart. Did you guys get around to doing that yet? Okay, do that. Please get that done because it's going to be really, really helpful for you if you'll do exactly what she says. It visually makes such a distinction. But you can see my blue, this is Babylon. My green, that's Medo-Persia. And although she didn't tell you, I added another one because at this point now, because of our homework this week, what, it, what follows Medo-Persia? Greece. So I just kind of penciled it in a little bit, and I know it comes next. No, not yet. Nope. And and it actually isn't on, and it's not even on the chart because of um, what was necessary to understand Daniel in its context. All pertains right here. Daniel, his life does what? Where does Daniel's timeline run on this map? It goes from the blue into the green. And that's all they wanted you to see. Yes. yes it does very good i have done that for years i love that and it's well there's a lot of tools like listen those little tools those kind of little hints on how to how to help yourself visually um keep things straight it's going to be so valuable to you uh, as you're doing your homework inductively. What gets really bad is sometimes I prefer reading off my observation worksheet than I do even out of my Bible because in my observation worksheet, it's color-coded. It's, and all my all my highlights and my marks are put in there so I can, um, like we talk about chapter 11 when we hit there with all those pronouns and you get lost. Once you color-code them, you won't. Once you color all the he's of uh, that belong together as being the same, you'll color code, say, all red. And another one you color all green or yellow or whatever. So that then when you see them, you're going, oh, this he is this kingdom. Although I got to tell you, they go back and forth so much in that 11. I had to give myself notes on the sides of which color is which kingdom so I could remember as I was going through it. But when we get there, you'll get that figured out and it won't be that difficult. This color-coded... Is really really helpful visually okay so do that if you haven't done that yet do that okay now yes there is a mention of that last one but the and you could you could put four great beasts and a stone if you wanted to a stone which becomes a great mountain right? Okay. I mean, I don't know how you'd want to do that, but you could add that in there, but I think it's not necessary for remembering because remember your title is to help trigger your remembrance of what's in that chapter. It's all it's for. And so you don't need all the details of all the information about what's going on in that chapter in your title. You just need the title to trigger your understanding of where are we in the storyline of Daniel. And so if if I want to find something about Nebuchadnezzar, right, and his statue dream, I just need to remember this is it, chapter two, his statue dream, right? But the only other weird thing about seven is that it, it isn't sequential for six. Okay, all right, so what? tell me whose kingdom are we in? Who's our king? Oops, I gotta find my black marker. Hold on a second. I forgot to put my lines in here. Uh-huh. It does. But very, it's very interesting. Okay. So who is our king here? Oh. Belshazzar. Wrong color. Let's go back to green. Oh, it is still blue? Oh, okay. You're right. Okay. That's right. And it's which kingdom? Babylon. Okay. Yes, it does. Very good. Isn't that amazing? All you had to do is put it out on a chart. Yes. Because... Yes, it is. Very good. Because five, the, the conclusion of chapter five is what happens to that king in that kingdom. It ends. So, and this tells us it's in the first year of who? Belshazzar's reign. Now, did anybody take a look on your chart, the one we just looked at, to see how many years Belshazzar reigns? Fourteen years. So that means in the first year, part of this happens. Now when we get to chapter 8, what is that, what's going on there? Uh In the third year of Belshazzar of Babylon. Okay. Okay. Yes, he was. Okay, so Daniel's vision... Obviously, all these, he's referring back. Yes, he is. But at this point, okay, so if you understand, um, who's having the vision? So we have Daniel's, his having the vision. What what about in chapter 8? Daniel's having a vision. What is chapter 8's vision about? A ram and a goat. <laughs> a lot of detail there. <laughs> Is it chapter 4? Is it verse 4 and 5? Is that right? Something like that, right? What, what are, where are those verses found? The ram and the goat. Is it 4 and 5 of chapter 8? Somewhere? Am I close? Okay, I just want to get the right verses on here four and five three and four I just want to have a sentence that has both of their names. okay I'm gonna put four and five that's my final word (laughs) and it's close enough and if if you want to change yours to something else that's fine it's, it's all you want to know is, basically, if I have to proof text to you that this dream was about a ram and a goat, I can take you back to that verse, and I can say, see, it's a ram and a goat. <laughs> and that's what he dreamed about. Now, the interpretation of that ram and goat is what? Who was the, who was the ram? Uh-huh. Okay, so we have Medo-Persia as one and okay and that's 21 so again now what I show you in my in the consistency anyway of my markings is we have two kingdoms that are being referenced in this dream: a ram and a goat, one is one kingdom one the other is another kingdom correct and that's all we need to know right now. we're just seeing the vision, the big picture it's a and it we we see a distinction we see now Daniel's vision, so what did we see over here? The kings have the dreams, and Daniel gives interpretation, but over here we're seeing what Daniel has visions and and then who's revealing them to him? God is through his angels that he sends again, right? So, um, what you see then in the verse six chapters is what? Because starting in seven, we're starting to see visions. I guess maybe we need to finish it before I take you there. let's Let's finish going on with this. Okay, Chapter nine. Uh, and who and what kingdom are we in in nine? Darius, The Mede, right? Uh-huh. Um, boy, you're asking me a question. Hold on. I have to look. Chapter nine in the first year of Darius, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. That's in nine. Correct. Okay. Yes. So nine and six, then line up together is in as far as when the event occurred it was during the time then of darius right here okay and what is the major theme going on there what is daniel doing there okay so he's praying and what else happens in the time of prayer Gabriel appears to him, and what does Gabriel do for him? And what is it giving him understanding of? His visions, right. And then my question then would be, now wait a second, have we seen a vision in chapter 9? So what vision is he speaking of here that he's giving him interpretation for? Ah, which one was that? In in seven and eight. So he had previous visions in seven and eight. And now in nine, he's being given understanding of his visions. His visions, which are of four great beasts, which are four kingdoms, of a ram and a goat, which are two kingdoms. And Daniel is being given understanding of his vision. Also, another significant thing happens in that chapter, and that's in verse 24 to 26 of 9. Tell me what you saw there. Seventy weeks. Now, what is this? Read that very first verse. 24. Yeah. okay so 70 weeks are being decreed did we come up with decree as a key word in this book yet not yet let's add that on because it does come up over and over Even though it was not mentioned earlier that things are being decreed or being um um foretold basically as going to happen and then things are being explained Following that. This decree, it says, Daniel, this is for you and who? And your people. Now, who are Daniel's people? Israel. So in the midst of this prayer time, the first thing that happens before Gabriel giving him understanding, though, is he, he gives him what? Well, he says he's, he's come to give him understanding. Has he given him understanding yet in chapter 9? Yes, it's all about praying. And what it does is it's showing you Daniel's position before God and his humbling himself, right, in prayer, making confessions and supplications for the people. And Daniel is praying, and and Gabriel is going to show up in chapter 9 and says, I have been sent to give you understanding, right? But does he give him understanding in 9? Is there an explanation in 9? no so what we see then is in 90s just saying i'm going to give you understanding daniel had already prayed and the first thing god did uh for daniel before even the explanation is given though is he has this word given to him this decree we would call this prophecy a prophetic utterance from god was given to daniel a decree concerning daniel and his people his people who are israel Hmm, how does that fit into what we're looking at, big picture? We're seeing what's going on with kingdoms at this point. What seems to be happening with kings and kingdoms in our storyline so far? They rise and they fall. They rise and they fall. They rise and they fall. And where is Israel in the midst of all this? yeah and they 're and they're being crushed in the middle of the rising and the falling. Things are rising and falling around them. It seems to be does Israel in any way ind- be, indicate to us that Israel is back on our land and ruling no there 's no more ruling for Israel, so in the midst of kingdoms who are all powerful and ruling the world, as Nebuchadnezzar is going to make very clear to us in his uh, his once was it the statue dream i have done this all by myself and then god has to humble him right okay (laughs) but daniel has has a dream in the middle then of this or a vision that's given to him through a prophetic utterance a decree and what does god do he says daniel concerning you and your people 70 weeks have been decreed right yes so he prophesies 70 weeks and I'm just going to shorten it for Daniel's people and then I'm going to do a symbol like this for it because this is going to remind me that it's speaking about Israel right Daniel Daniel's people have you guys got people my people my people, your people. We got people. Daniel has people, too. His people are the nation of Israel. And in the the, the um, scheme of things, where did we start at the beginning of chapter 1 here? Where did we start? Who was Judah? Again, it's it's Israel, right? It's the nation of Israel. What happened to the nation of Israel? they went into their captivity so what we're seeing here is in chapter 1 we see the beginning of their captivity and when we get to chapter 9 we're seeing a prophecy that's given to Daniel about his people and what's going to happen to Daniel and his people right So isn't isn't that an interesting thing, that along the storyline of rising and falling of kings and kingdoms, Israel has been taken into the captivity of one of those kingdoms, and there's this rising and falling as they're going. What What are we seeing God do with Daniel and his people in these first six chapters? When they get themselves into a pickle because of their captors, what happens? God rescues. Who does he rescue? Those who are doing what? Those who are, what? Serving. serving, okay, yeah, those who are serving the king. But why does God rescue Daniel not as opposed to maybe someone else? What has Daniel done in chapter 1 that we know so far? He would not, he would not, that's exactly right, he would not defile himself. And in uh, the chapter 3, why did God rescue those three? They would not bow down to that false idol. So what we're seeing then is Israel goes into captivity. We see faithfulness going on, right? God rescuing those in the midst of their, of their situation, not removing them from their situation, but in the midst of their situation, he's rescuing them, right? Right? I love that part of the story. Now we get all the way down here to chapter 9 where we are this week. And what we see, Daniel goes into prayer. Now, does anybody remember why Daniel goes into prayer? He had read Jeremiah. Now we're going to get to look at that this week, I think, and see a little bit more about exactly what all that means. But something was said by Jeremiah, which, by the way, I read to you, Jeremiah, right, this morning about where God has spoken through Jeremiah, talking about them, uh, Babylon being a kingdom that he is going to raise up and that they are to submit to that. But we need to know why, right? Why did they have to go into this captivity? What, what happened uh, concerning God's people, as a matter of fact, because this is very interesting. These are God's people, right? They're also Daniel's people. So God's people are Daniel's people, <laughs> same thing they're in captivity they're being protected in the midst of their captivity in chapter 9 now daniel has a vision about his people and that 70 weeks have been decreed for them all right so now what do we see in 10 daniel he sees something what does he see a man in linen And um, he's going to be given understanding, right? Again, made mention of. And what is he going to be given understanding of? The Jews in the latter days. Okay. Okay, given understanding. Okay, so read exactly what that verse, what verse were you in? Oh good. Okay, read that. You just made that up, I know. <laughs> but it was really good. <laughs> read verse 14 though cuz it's going to give you us the rest of this very long title, okay? That's good enough. That's sufficient. Okay, there's more. There's more. But did you see what he says? He tells him up here he has a vision and he prophesies about these 70 weeks for Daniel's people. Gabriel has been given understanding for this vision. He comes to give uh, this understanding to Daniel. Now, Daniel then sees a man in linen, so a secondary part of this is then he looks up and there's this man in linen, and now he's being given the understanding of of these things and he's told what the things are about so he crystallizes let me just explain first and foremost this is what it's about Daniel this is about what is going to happen to your people in the latter days or in days yet future is another way it says right things that will happen yes there you go things that will happen to his people in latter days now we're going to look at that phrase latter days and what does that mean we're going to there's a lot of key lot of words that are being tossed around here about the time of the end and the the days yet future and the latter days and we're going to get this all tied up at some point when we get there we'll do more research on that we're going to find out what these identifying marker words, what they mean, what time frame are they speaking of specifically, okay? We'll get that clarified later. Okay, so for right now, what we see then is two visions. Now Daniel's praying about those visions that he had back in the Babylonian kingdom. Now he's in the Medo-Persian kingdom at the beginning of it, and he's saying he was praying and prophesying God gave him a prophecy. And then Gabriel says, I'm here now. I'm going to give you understanding. So then Daniel says, what I saw was a man in linen. And now he told me that he was going to tell me or give me understanding with the things that will happen to my people, his people, in the latter days. Now, what kingdom are we in again? And what do we know about the Medes and the Persians' kingdom? They ruled together. It was a Medo-Persian empire. Now, What I think is really cool is when you do some research on this, we're not there yet, but when we get there, you're going to research this out and you're going to look at see how did this co-regency, this co-reigning happen, and maybe what are some of the reasons it happened even historically? Are there any records? I think one of the names that got tossed around was Herodotus, who was a um, a historian wrote some records about things that happened during that time. And w- what may have been the, the you know, strategically, like, how did these two men come together and how did their te- their kingdoms get united so that they were co-regencing together. And also what's very interesting is, did you notice the phrase on Darius? It says, and Darius was made king, right? It's going to repeat that again. The second time his name is mentioned and it's, specifically says he was made king of what the chaldeans so what we need to figure out is is that limiting him to a region or an area or is that just speaking of the kingdom on the whole we're not sure but i think history research is what's going to help unravel that for you but if you don't do the the history research you will still be left wondering for sure however let me just make this point too Some people do not like all the research and the the extra work that has to go in to to really get these rich tidbits. But what I want to tell you is, even if you don't do that, the storyline does not change. The message is very clear, what God is trying to say. So even if you choose not to do all the extra, just come into class and let the rest of us you know, bathe you with our joy. You know, we can sprinkle some of our sprinkles with with you so that you can enjoy what we're enjoying. But it really is not totally necessary because your, your Bible tells you exactly what God wants you to say. He gave you every word that was necessary for your understanding. So... If you're okay with that and you're satisfied with that, that's fine. If you're not and you want the, the joy of more discovery, then you go in and you do the extra research to see historically what happened between the Medes and the Persians and how might they have come together. So that they have, we have this joint uh, regency. Okay, so chapter 11. Who's there? Who's the king? Uh, back to Darius. Now... Um, I don't know if you noticed it, but it, it tells you uh, in the uh, third year of Darius the Mede, in the first year, of, no, or was it the third year of Darius the Mede, the first year of Cyrus, and the third year? Or, third? Okay. So nine is the first year of Darius, 10 is the third year of Cyrus. And the, the, for, and the uh, Back to the first year. Now, what, what, that mi- what might that little thing right there tell you? Twice we're in the first year, even though we're progressively moving along. Nine, it says first year. Ten says third year. Eleven says first year. They're co-regencing. What might that tell you? Yeah, Maybe that might be the answer. Oh, that's interesting. We didn't actually move on a timeline. They're at the same time. It's just two kings. One is in his first year. One's in his third year. The the that seen. Huh? The of King has in here has in the They're line. very close. And remember, one of the things about timelines and maps and datings, and you know, we've talked this through so many times. But the dating is so difficult to nail down. It's so much better if you don't try to look at an exact date. Just kind of get the progressive order of who's where and at what time and who's working together and just get that part of it lined up. You know, and it's nice to have a ballpark number. And there are some things that are much more um, uh, agreed upon, right, in the theological world about certain dates, right? 605 BC, this happened, you know, 586, this happened, whatever. So when you get those, those are the ones you might want to memorize and they give you a ballpark area, that's about when that happened, okay? But what's mo- in this context, what's more important is, interesting, Daniel's having a dream. Have we? He said he had this dream. Now he- someone's coming to give him understanding. Again, someone's coming to give him understanding. Have we moved in history? No. But here? It looks like you've moved in history, but... It's two different guys. One's in his first year. One's in his third year. Maybe one just started before the other. The where the oh, Kristen, you are brilliant. <laughs> you you got to that one very quickly. That's good. I mean, it is a possibility and we have to parse it out together as a group. We need to do our research on that. But maybe that means Cyrus was already ruling and he made Darius king of a certain region. Is that possible? Especially if they're co regency And it seems like this is a flow of thought from 9, 10 down to 11. We're we're still in the first year of Darius in 11, just like we were in 9. In the middle, he mentions Cyrus of Persia being in his third year. But this is all one account being given in the flow of thought. So we haven't, for him, this is one event happening all at the same time. Are you catching that? See, these are the things that doing... An overview and setting context will help you do. It will help you say, oh, that's interesting. We didn't move on a timeline. We're in the same place. It's just two different kings. They had two different time frames in their regency or in their reigning. But you only see that because what you see then is 8, 9, and 10 is one, one account. He's giving you the same account of the same thing. So what has happened in 11 then? This one's hard. Okay, and give me your verse on that one cuz I didn't see that one, but that that sounds good. Okay. 11 verse 11 11, let's all look at this one together and see if we can find something that works pretty good. Oh, yeah, I'm in 11 chapter 11. We need a how about verse 2? I like to. Someone read that for me. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, more kings are going to arise in Persia and the fourth gain riches all of them. As soon as he becomes strong becomes through his riches, he will arouse the whole empire against the Roman troops. Aha, and then it's going to go on and give some explanation about what happens in the kingdom of Greece, right? So what we see now is there are two kingdoms being discussed. So it's basically, it's talking then in chapter 11 about kings of Persia, Persia's fall, and Greece Greece rising up. So I kind of want to skip all the part about how many kings were I'm going to come and go as far as my title is because that's more like bigger picture. I want to look at the. I want to get up higher and look bigger picture. It's one kingdom versus another kingdom and the sequential order of them, is it not? Would you say that that's what you see there? Per, uh, uh, Persia falls and Greece rises. Okay, so let's put it that way: fall of Persia and rise of Greece. Now. Even though you don't know who all those pronouns are at this point, what do you now know about all the he's and the she's and the they's and the whatever that's going on in there? It's about Persia and Greece, and and then later it's about Greece and what's happening within, within that realm or that kingdom is what? Okay, there is a division in there, and... And in the midst of that, what, what kind of things are taking place that you can just kind of, that you spotted easily? I know I don't want you to have to, was there like intrigue? Were there covenants? Was there warring? Was there kind of a tug of war for power position? And yeah, so that, did you not see that? And yeah, and how are they referred to when you get into that part of the text? North and South. So if you really want to just simplify your title without having to try to figure out all details right now, we know something about the North and something about the South, right? Kings that basically that are at warring with one another, right? Kings at war at war, not where? <laughs> at war. North and South, right? North and south, huh? North and south. North and south of what? Ah, uh, how did you figure that out? Okay, there's some little, very good, there's some, there's some words in here that kind of give us a clue. You said 41, and he will also enter the beautiful land, and many countries will fall, right? In um, 45, it talks about what? The Holy Mountain. Now, what's the Holy Mountain? That's where the temple would be. Now, I double underline anything that's geographical for me. I underline it with green twice just to point out to me. And I do that when I do my my original overview, cursory type. Anytime it says country, land, whatever, I just double underline. Even if I can't identify it yet. I know it's talking about a geographical location, and that might be important because what's going to happen is that if you go to a map and you're saying north and south, north and south of what? I'm sorry, Steve, say that again. Yes, uh, oh yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he spoke, and I wanted to hear, <laughs> like, what was that? E. F. Hutton or H. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> north and south. Then how did you determine it was no, speaking of north and south of Israel? Well, we see the word beautiful land okay okay let's look at 40. at the end time the king of the south will collide with him and the king of the north will storm against him now that was a little tough let's hang on to that one for now but we what we see in 41 is the beautiful land is mentioned again and that it seems to be in the middle of everything, correct? So if you understand what the beautiful land is, now what if you didn't know what the beautiful land is? Remember, at this point, what we're seeing is 9, 10, and 11, so far, these are all one vision, right? So far, we are we are seeing that these all go together, correct? He ha- he He prays. He also has a prophecy, and then Gabriel says, I'm going to give you him understanding of his vision. Of what visions? These two right here, right, that he's already had. And, he sa- and he, when he had this up here, he says, what was he being given understanding about? What was given understanding about? To, his to his people. So if you have a clue that the beautiful land is Israel, and you know that his people is Israel, you validate the fact that that what it's speaking about in the beautiful land is Israel. Why? Because it's Daniel and his people that are being spoken. The vision is about what's going to happen to you and your people in the latter days, Daniel. And I've come to give you understanding. Now, why might that be important in the flow of this bigger picture? Where is Daniel and his people right now? They're in Babylon. What's happened to their nation? They've been crushed. They've been taken. Taken into captivity. Do you just suppose at about this time in your life, I mean, think of it, Joseph, here you are, you're in, you're lost, right? You're taken captive, you're in this strange country, you don't know where you're at, you've lost your family, you're being put under the thumb of a new king, a new kingdom, a new culture, new language, everything, and you're, don't you suppose at that point you're thinking, well, what's going to happen to my people? Where are they? now? Now, time has passed. Now, this is Daniel. This would be you at the age of 80 now and you're thinking back and you're going but God look what's been going on all this time my people were still in captivity so now this vision comes Gabriel says Daniel I've come to tell you what's going to happen to you and your people I'm here to give you understanding of what will happen to them in the latter days Now, at that point, Daniel's scratching his head, going, wait a minute. I just want to know what's happening today, (laughs) right? Probably. But he's also saying, Okay, if it has to do with me and my people, then when you go into 11, where he's talking about the fall of Persia, the rise of Greece, and then it goes on in the second part, and it talks about kings that are at war north and south of who? Israel. So let's just put that north and south of Israel. The beautiful land. Yes, it is. So it's very interesting. There's, there's a bunch. You don't realize it until you start looking for them. Then you go, oh, wow, there's like, there's like several times when that's mentioned. And by the way, another time is, is subtly mentioned. If you go back up into 31, look in 31. What's spoken of there? Yeah, the sanctuary where the sacrifices are given, where would that be? That's all. We're back to Jerusalem again, aren't we? So he says, Forces from him, that would be the king of the north, will arise. He will desecrate the sanctuary fortresses and do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. Wait a minute, I've heard that term before. Abomination of desolation? Um. Seems like we heard that one again. It's going to come up again, isn't it? In twelve, huh? That's interesting. Abomination. Go to twelve eleven and just take note of that. That that mention of an abomination of desolation is mentioned twice. Now, are they speaking about the same thing? Or yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe don't assume it automatically is okay now for those of you who have been around and done this before you already have the answer but but let's not you know spoil the discovery of i know you do so do i the end is god wins yay (laughs) big picture okay so right now what you need to know is we see that daniel is being given understanding of his visions okay he had been given a vision to begin with of four great beasts and at the end of that i'm just going to draw a picture of a great mountain that is established at the end when what's going to happen with all of these they're going to be destroyed and a great mountain comes and is established And we're going to learn more about what that great mountain pictures, what that means, okay? But since that's what, what we know his in, initial vision was, and then a secondary vision was given to him with greater detail about two of those kingdoms, right? The ram and the goat. Then Daniel, later in time, he's, we're now into the first uh, year of the reign of, of Darius the Mede, Daniel begins to pray, and he prophesies about Uh, something is going to happen to Daniel and his people for a period of 70 weeks. We don't know what that means yet either, but we will. Gabriel comes to give understanding. He tells him that the things he's going to help him understand pertain to him and his people in the latter days. And we see that he then begins to explain about the fall of Persia and the rise of Greece and some kings that are at war north and south of Israel, the beautiful land. Boy, we've done a lot. Mm-hmm. Now. Can I ask a real quick? Yes. Okay, no. But does that mean that since Gabriel shows up do it, says it at 11, 12 Yes. Okay. I, think, I think at least Gabriel's present, and he pops in. And it is a, a little tough to discern. I'm still myself. And, you know, I've done this before. But as you guys know, every time I do a homework or teach a lesson, a study, I start all over. I start with brand new sheets just like you do so i'm scrounging through it And it's been 10 years since i did this the last time so i'm scratching my head still trying to remember all the details on this we will get it figured out but what but what's more important for you big picture is to understand this is one actually nine ten and eleven at least so far what we can see is that it really could have been one chapter right okay and now let's go to 12 then and see what else we see No, that's possible. Well, we do know that, for instance, his praying took three weeks, 21 days or something, right? right? And then he has this prophecy, and then Gabriel comes to give understanding. Now, so this first part of nine took three weeks. The rest of this might have all happened, you know. You. Right, but I'm just saying, then it, the rest of it may have all happened kind of in a consolidated time without breaks in it possibly right i mean the scripture doesn't tell us it doesn't say so i'm going to make the assumption there was no breaks because it doesn't tell us there were any breaks what do you know what's throwing you and me off the man-made divisions of chapters if we don't have the man-made divisions of chapters would we ever read those as a break in time probably not the only thing that might throw us off is where the kings are mentioned but if you understand this is a flow of thought about one event, what this tells you to me is he's just showing you there's a co-regency going on that he's, that he's under, and these two kings are over him at, that, at the same time. So it's the Medo-Persian Empire, right? We know that's true. History shows us it was the Medo-Persian Empire. So for whatever reason, he wanted us to understand it was during the days of the Medo-Persian Empire, okay? Now, 12, what do we see happen in 12? We got five minutes to get this wrapped up, and we're almost there. I know it. Are you proud of me? I'm getting better. Four minutes, but who's counting? (laughs) Cliff's like, come on, (laughs) Okay, I got six minutes. My listen, she's my administrator. I get six. <laughs> All right, <laughs> uh, there's grace that abounds in this room. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> okay, n- it right now. How do you know that? What is the first word in the sentence of one? Now, now at that time, it just get, continues with the flow of thought. So we now know that 12 continues on from 11 without a break, okay? So I'm going to finish my little line here. And I'm going to say that all of these fit together as a unit. 9, 10, 11, and 12 are one unit. They could be one chapter, right? And now we see the flow of thought. And what is happening in 12? What's told that's we definitely see spiritual warfare going on, right? Okay, we see Michael, the great prince, is mentioned. And what does he tell him that's significant to Daniel and his people? Wow, that distress comes up as a significant point. I think if I were in captivity and he was telling me about things that are going to happen to me and my people, when he mentioned that there's going to be a great distress? For me and my people that would that would probably upset me did it upset daniel what does he go on to say well he he does go on to tell him he says but there's going to be a time of great distress or of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until the time and at that time your people daniel everyone now he caveats it everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Now, I want to know about that book. I don't know about you, but what is that book about? (laughs) Okay, so we get to look about the book and see what the book is, but whoever's in that book, he's got a little black book, And 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 if you're written in there, you're going to be rescued. So what we now know as far as the big picture he's going on to tell him about a time of distress. That's going to occur. Correct. He says there will be. A time of great distress. And you can go on and say for your people. But, right, but what? What's the good word? Pardon? But those who have insight shine brightly. They shine brightly. And what's going to happen to them in the the conclusion of verse 1? But what will happen to them? They will be rescued. I think if I were saying big picture, the details are certain things are going to happen like your people are going to shine brightly if they, for those who have understanding and insight. And they will lead the many to righteousness, I think it said. so. Um, and those are the details, but the big picture, what Daniel would be focused on, if he's looking to understand what's going to happen to him and his people, and he says this vision pertains to things which are going to happen in the latter days for you and your people, Daniel. And he's saying there is going to be a time of great distress for you and your people, but you will be rescued. And you can throw in the extra if you want to, those who are written in the book of life, right? You know, what's very interesting to me, too, is thus far, in the first half of this book, have we seen God rescuing people? And what was the Reason God rescued them again. Do you remember what we said? Their faithfulness to God, right? So do you think their faithfulness to God and things that are written in the book of Life might have something in common? Potentially, right? It seems like there might be a link there, big picture. You will be, you will be rescued. There's one more point I want to add on to this as we conclude it, though. Um, he talks about in verse 7 because this is a really significant visual picture the man in linen he's he's above the waters he lifts both hands to heaven right and what does he what does he do what does he say okay so he swore now what does it mean to swear To sw- to swear by heaven that what's going to happen? Uh-huh. And these things? Yeah. He says, listen. He swears by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and a half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, now who would the holy people be in Daniel's perspective? Israel. All these events will be what? Completed. So what does that tell you? What what is the message in this chapter about God and the things that he's telling him about the rise and the fall and the rise and the fall of kings and kingdoms and all these intrigues and He's saying everything's gonna be busy, 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 but I've got a plan. I've got a plan. Got a plan. Got a plan. Well, now, ne- yeah. I wanna go back and read Again, he says in Jeremiah 27, I have made the earth, the men and the beasts which are in the face of the earth, by my great power and by my outstretched hand, and I will give it to the one who is pleasing in my sight. Now, I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and I have given him also the wild animals and the fields to serve him. Now, this is God saying, this is what I have decreed, Daniel, for you and your people. And then he concludes here in verse 7, and he says, All these events will be completed. That's an emphatic promise. It's, and the promise is not about the, the horrible things of time of distress. The real promise is what? At the end of the story, I'm telling you, the end of the story, Daniel, is you and your people will be rescued. yeah, hallelujah, and I did it, I shall take a vow, yes, oh, segment divisions there, okay, so what do we see for segment divisions there, what happens in chapters one through six, it's all about what? what, what was, when you look at the bigger picture of what's going on there, it's narratives about who, about Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and his people and all that, right, but what is the second part of the book about? About prophecy. So this one is history, and this part is Prophe- prophecy. I also see it as the first part establishing Daniel's credentials, so that he confidently believe. That's a good one. I like that. You go deep. <laughs> see, those are the th- those are the kinds of insights that that are called analytical. And when you, when a person rises to that place of being able to reach analytical observations, that's when you know you're really learning. You're not just by rote filling in the blank and answering the questions of you, but you're actually analyzing what you're looking at, and you're able to draw out. Oh, look at this! This is what I see. I'm seeing this bigger picture, and I'm seeing that he's setting up Daniel's credentials by showing and dis- uh, displaying himself. Who else is God demonstrating and? and portraying to us in the chapters one through six. God most high. He's establishing that God most high is what? He's the sovereign king. Now so what is the key repeated word concerning God in the book of Daniel? That he is who? He is God most high. So if you want a theme for the book, something about God most high. Now, I'm going to let you guys work on that this week and next week for our follow-up review. I'll let you fill that in and give me a scripture verse. I've got about four, four different possibilities for titles. They're all very similar, but I want you to kind of look back over what we've discussed today and had the big picture that we're seeing, how we're seeing uh, the history of Daniel and his people and then the prophecies that were given to Daniel concerning what was going to yet come in the future, how we see God working in The kingdoms of Gentiles and the kings of Gentiles, but also in the lives of his people, even in the midst of circumstances, it it makes me think of Philippians, right? Count it all joy. Um, and then we're going to look at the end of it about these prophecies specifically that are given to Daniel. When we get there, those are the prophecies, the, the, the techniques that you're going to learn for coming to sound interpretation are going to be really vital to getting into Revelation when we move into that book. So this is where you learn your skills so that when we do Revelation, you'll be able to uh, navigate through that very easily. Okay. Yay! You did so well, guys. Thank you so much.